Hello and welcome to Free and Clear. I'm John Collins, the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me I have Naomi Wright, the founder of beembolden.com. And we're asking the difficult questions that people have about religious abuse, breaking them down into simple terms, and helping people to become free and clear. Naomi, it's been another roller coaster of a week. So many exciting things going on and so many things happening and exciting things planned, but it's crazy the amount of things that we're juggling right now. I'm I'm wondering how are you doing? I'm hanging in there, John. Yeah, it has been a crazy week, but good crazy in ways. I mean, I'm thankful for the opportunity to do what I'm doing and I'm also thankful for self-care and breaks here and there to be able to keep doing it, keep doing it as well as I can. How about you? Well, I guess the best way that I can describe it is busy. <laughs> We've got so many things going going on and in the works. And um, on top of everything that we're doing and planning, you've got Russia invading Ukraine. And we've been trying to publish research articles to help people to you know, calm the fears that they've been indoctrinated with by understanding what's happening versus um, what they've been taught or what they were supposed to believe. So, yeah, it's like you say, it's been crazy, but it's been crazy good. Yeah, it is. And I, I know our topic doesn't directly relate to that today. So maybe this will give people a break or for those who aren't as impacted by what's going on right now. Uh, maybe that's not as relevant to your story and your experience. Hopefully, uh, this will provide some support in other ways. Absolutely. This is something that a lot of the younger crowd when they enter the support groups they deal with. And um, so some of the older ones did not really have it as bad from what I can tell as some of the people now, now that the cults have become more oppressive, which is interesting to me. But our topic today is relationships. Um, there's so many ways in which these manipulative groups will hinder relationships and sometimes even prevent relationships. And we've gotten several questions from time to time of, you know, what, what is normal? What is, it no, what is a normal relationship like? I never experienced that. So let's get right into it. The first question. I was born and raised in a religious cult. We were taught that casual dating was wrong and that it led to premarital sex. Now, leaving the cult at age 20 and never having dated, I feel really awkward. What advice do you have for someone who has never dated? So... I'm not going to just leave you with my personal opinion, but I'm going to start with it, which is that dating is overrated anyway, <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> I yeah. do not enjoy dating. I am glad I am no longer having to date. <laughs> I think those first few dates especially are so awkward and uncomfortable. And I'm like, can we just get to the part where we really know each other and we're comfortable with one another? Okay, but that's me. I even felt that way at 20. Actually, technically, I guess I was married at, no, I was married at 21. But for those of you who do want to date, dating is good and dating can be fun. And so when I look at this question, I do kind of wonder, wonder like what sort of advice this person's looking for. So, I mean, we could go real specific on how do I ask someone to go on a date? Um, so I'm not sure exactly where to go with this. So I'm going to kind of give an overall statement that, there are different views on dating within Christianity at large. 
Um, I have found some of them to be very harmful, where they force people into a very serious relationship too quickly, where the individuals don't really know one another yet. And maybe they don't even know what they're looking for yet in a partner, like what's a good fit and what's not, what's going to be able to withstand, you know, the long haul of maybe 50 years married versus what's just, oh, I think that person's attractive. And so I think there's a lot of good in getting to know someone well before you decide to spend the next who knows how long connected to them. And dating allows you to do that. It allows you to figure out, oh, I like this or I don't like that or this is this doesn't, it just, it's too much tension. It's not going to go well. I don't see this, this making it if I want to marry them. And so dating serves a really good purpose. And also, again, it can be enjoyable. You're getting to know new people. You're getting to learn how to communicate yourself. Like, how do you answer questions about you? What are you comfortable sharing? Um, How do you handle different social situations if you're going to a get-together together versus you're going to dinner together? There's all these different socialization aspects that come out of dating as well. It can be really beneficial for someone's growth and development into adulthood. And can dating lead to premarital sex? A lot of things can lead to premarital sex and dating is not the only thing. And so within Christianity, yes, um, there is the belief that it is um, God's will for our lives to wait until we're married, to have that depth of, you know, physical connection, which then has a spiritual connection. I don't want to get too into that. The point that I'm making is Oh, here, I knew a couple, I'm going to end my rant in a second, I promise, John. I knew a couple (laughs) who said that they weren't even going to kiss until they got married. Their first kiss on the lips was on their wedding day after they said their vows. I know for a fact, because I was friends with them, that they had kissed one another literally everywhere else. So... (laughs) It's just, that's not what it's about. It's about the the conviction right. that you have as individuals, the commitment that you decide to make together as a couple. I don't think that we have to be afraid of premarital sex. We need to be educated and make decisions about premarital sex. So dating is a good thing, has a lot of benefits, and I don't think we need to be scared. So this is going to be a strange episode for anybody who follows my research because this, I'm a very analytical person. I'm a, I am fascinated by history, and this is one area that I just have no interest in researching, right? <laughs> you, you won't find a single page on the website about this. So my advice, I have a feeling people will completely ignore, but I can speak a little bit <laughs> from experience. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and I'm an oddball, too, because I I really did not date that much, and Interestingly, I just never really felt the need to. When I met my wife that I married, how long has it been now? She'll kill me because I can't remember the year. It's like 20, almost 25 years now. But it feels like a day, It feels like a day. I mean, you know, when we met, I could just tell, you know, this is is the person. This is the one. So I, she'll... Again, she'll kill me because she remembers like every time and every shirt that I wore, what color they were, where we were. I remember none of that, but it feels like maybe we dated four or five times. Um, I moved here and I want to say it was June of one year and we got married in November of that same year. So it was like 
overnight. Mm -hmm. We just instantly, so I didn't really date. So I'm speaking from a, from the perspective of somebody who's never really done it. Right. But one thing I can say from working with the support groups is that there is such a wide variety of beliefs, even within the same cult of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And from within that, most of the groups are very small because most of the cults that I was involved with are imploding. They only, there is no real recruiting. They only grow from within. So whenever somebody gets married and they have children, those are new cult recruits. So there's not a lot really to choose from. And you're not supposed to choose outside of the cult because the, you know, some of the cults teach that you, if you, yoke yourself with an unbeliever, you're yoking yourself with death. You know, there's some weird doctrines out there. So it's really, it's one step away from prearranged marriage. And there's this weird concept within the cult that you only will, you're only supposed to date the people that you intend to marry. That's a general belief, at least within the cults, the cult churches that I attended from Arizona to South Carolina. And I know that there are some more strict Christian religions that, uh, Christian denominations that have that same belief set, but there's a wide variety of Christian and non-Christian people that realize that dating is also a tool just to have fun. Let's get together with somebody of the opposite sex and let's go see a baseball game. Let's go out, have a milkshake and Generally, when I get this question in the support groups, it's usually from somebody who feels guilty whenever they're having fun because they're not with somebody that they intend to marry, if that makes any sense. When it's, that's what this is all about. It's so that you get to know people. You're not going to marry every single person you date, right? You're going to be with a few people, find what you like, what you dislike. And um, for me... I, I can't really give advice because I'm not, a, I'm not a relationship counselor, but I can say go have fun because that's what it's all about. Yeah, and like I said, there's, you can approach it as, okay, this is fun. And I see from, like I said, just the socialization aspect of it and the growth and development of the person, you're doing more than just having fun. Like you, you are learning how to communicate. You're learning how to, how vulnerable do you want to be? How to share about yourself, how to ask and get to know another person, um, how to behave with someone else, like in public and in this situation versus that situation. So there's a lot that comes from that, that can benefit people later on when they're meeting someone new, even say they were like, they're in a new job and they're they're taking on clients. Well, they they're better equipped to be talking with people um, and establishing these relationships. So it looks it carries over to other areas of life. Is it the only way to get that kind of socialization training? No, but it is a really good way to get it. And because of that, I don't even see it only as fun. Not that that in and of itself isn't good enough. It is good enough. But there's this additional benefit, too, when we're talking about young people who just, especially if they've had this kind of background, haven't, are unlikely to have had really good socialization. They're unlikely to have had that. And so it can help in these areas. And I see a lot of benefit there. 
Yeah. And not to use the car analogy because I usually get a lot of negative feedback, but it's oh, it can be compared like <laughs> you're never going to go to buy a car if you don't hear the engine run, right? I mean, I, again, I'm a logical person, so this this is probably not going to be advice that anybody wants to listen to. But what's a better way to say it? There are there are a number of people in the support groups who got married. And they left the cult that they were in and they stayed married because they chose the right person. They chose somebody that they can live with forever. There are other people in the support groups that as soon as they became free enough to basically wake up and understand that they had chosen somebody who was physically abusive or violent or had a severe personality disorder. And some of them have actually said, if I had only just spent a little bit of time with this person before we got married, I would have realized this is probably not the guy that I would have married or the woman that I would have married. And dating is a way that you find out what people are like. It's how you explore their personalities. And if you never explore it, you're never starting the engine of the car to hear it run before you buy the car. (laughs) So I I just have to look at it like it's, it's an experience as well. John, that is the first time the reason I said, oh gosh, was because I thought you were taking it in a different direction. I have never used that analogy in regards, I've never heard it used in regards to personality. I've only heard it used in regards to sex. And that's why I was like, oh gosh, like here we go. Yes, (laughs) I've never, I have never, (laughs) that shows how sheltered you were growing up versus me in a public school (laughs) hearing all this other crap. (laughs) And the funny part of that is, as I was speaking, I almost said you would never take it for a test drive. And then I knew that every single person listening is going to think about sex. So I changed it to you would never hear the engine start. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who have had, again, the reason I said already, like, premarital sex, I'm going to leave that. I'm not getting into that. It's a whole separate conversation. And that's why right. it's not that we're not willing to have that conversation. It could be a future episode. But we're only on question one and we're 15 minutes into the episode already. So um, it's just a whole separate conversation. So please know it's not a lack of willingness or desire to, to talk with, with all of you about it. Um, but it's just, it needs to be its own, its own thing. And yes, I, I totally agree with, with the car analogy um, in that scenario of you, you want to know what you're committing to and good heavens. Like I will say even, my husband and I, we met and we got engaged four months later and we were married at eight months. And that was harder than it needed to be. So, John, like we have maybe a slightly different story. I don't know what your first year, a couple of years looks like, looked like, but we could have been set up better had we had more time. We are also both very strong personalities that clashed in a lot of ways. And like the things I did that triggered him, the way he responded triggered me. So it was just like a trigger mess. Um, And it was just this trigger war going on. And so we just had a lot of stuff to work through. And I think we could have done it safer and healthier if we had had our own spaces to go home to. And we weren't also trying to navigate finances and dinner prep and all these other things. So I want to encourage people to take that into account, like those day-to-day necessities that marriage requires you to tackle 
is just another layer of stuff that you have to be working through if you know you're going into it with stuff to already work through. Like more time sometimes can be helpful. Very much depends on the couple and the situation. It obviously worked out for us. Like we're still together. We had celebrated nine years together actually on the ninth. So we're making it, but I think we could have had an easier way. Um, and as far as how much I dated, we just don't need to get into that. So John, you and I do not have the same story, but <laughs> I wish I were you in a lot of ways because yeah, it's not my favorite thing. So next question. <laughs> next question. A few years ago, my wife and I decided to leave the cult that we raised our children in. The further we distance ourselves from it, the more we realize how negatively it impacted all aspects of our lives. I'm worried that our exit will hurt our relationship that we have with our children as they get older and realize what they were involved with. Do you have any advice for us? Oh, this is a sharp turn because we went from something that seemed a little bit more light in ways and, and things like that, looking on us being old people at this point, looking back. But this one, gosh, this is heavy. And I, I feel this question. My, I have a couple of things I'd want to say. First, be honest with them. Be willing to talk about it and share what you've learned. It dep- at any age, children are picking up on more than we necessarily realize. And so being willing to approach children, um, whether on the younger side, teenagers, um, adults at this point, being able to approach them truthfully, showing humility. Uh, people are not as exempt from something like this happening to them as they often like to think they are. And even using this as an opportunity to warn them of, hey, this is what I learned. This is what I would do differently. And I want to share that with you because I want you to be better equipped because I don't want this to happen to you. And I I wish that this hadn't happened. Um, and I apologize for mistakes that I've made maybe throughout that time period of being in the group. If I disciplined you in ways that I now wish I hadn't, as one example, if I made decisions for your life that I wish I hadn't made, I, I apologize to you for that. I, I wish I could do it differently. I can't take it back, but I can tell you I had my own process to go through and I had the own, my own do- indoctrination, my own level of mind, you know, mind control. And there's so much that I was going through that I'm so thankful to be out of now, but I want to be open and honest and share that, share that with you um, in hopes that it will help grow our relationship and deepen our relationship as well as help teach you and equip you not to, to do the same and continue to invest in your own healing process prioritize that. In addition to the obvious benefits, like this will also model your desire for improved health to your children and model to them the importance of their healing process from whatever they have going on from that past experience. My advice for this is, again, a car analogy. (laughs) What? (laughs) Look through the windshield while you're driving, not the rearview mirror. And I say that kind of lightheartedly and jokingly, but I'll be honest, this is a, this is a re- very real problem for me. This, this question is something that I personally have to deal with myself and my wife. We had three children that were raised in a cult. The oldest one remembers it, and the youngest one does not. And, you know, looking back and all of the conversations that we've had post-cult and pre-leaving the cult... There are so many things that we did wrong, 
and we couldn't help it. We were in a cult. There were so many things we did right, and maybe the cult influenced, maybe the cult did not, but it really becomes irrelevant. The relationships, even if you did things horrifically wrong, can still be mended. And if you look towards the future and you realize if there is a certain area that's wrong, go address it. You know, go, um, there's counseling available, there's family counseling, etc. Or just, you know, simply if, I don't know the age of the children, but if they're old enough to just, you know, go out and have coffee together or whatever, talk through it. But relationships, I guess that's probably the, the other advice I could give in the in the way in which a cult dynamic works, it's all or nothing, it's forever. So when you think of the cult leader and his doctrine, you think this person always believed this and forever, and I must always believe it and forever. It's all static because your mind has been manipulated into this snapshot in time that never changes. But the real world isn't like that. Things change, people change, opinions change, relationships change, and you have the power to correct it and change it. And if you feel like you don't have the power to correct it and change it, then you may still have some cult baggage that's holding you back. And that's probably what needs addressed. You need to take take the bull by the horns and, and address the situation and move forward. I would say that depending on the age of the child, this this won't be relevant. But if the child's old enough where he or she has some memories it could just be confusing for that child as they get older. And so that's where I think it can be helpful to at least have have a sense of an open door for them to ask questions if they have them and to be able to explain. Because if we don't cultivate that environment, again, they can just grow up and be like, I don't really know what to do with that or I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. or So I think just letting them know, hey, I'm not necessarily going to come to you and just tell you all this stuff junk that we went through. But if you ever have a question, I want you to know you can come and ask it. Right. And and that's actually that was a point that I meant to bring up because of my children, they we escaped the cult early enough that they will never, ever understand what we were in. They can read about it. They can learn about it. Uh, one of my children has taken interest and he reads about it. And he still will never, ever understand what it is that we actually saved them from and how bad that their life could have been had they stayed in it. So addressing that is a bit difficult. And a lot of times people will leave a cult and they never, ever want to talk about it again. And sometimes the children do want to talk about it. So that creates another family dynamic that really needs addressed if they're if they're wanting to talk about it, they're probably working out some issues of their own that was a result of being a child who is in a cult, and that does need to be addressed. So I would recommend, you know, you know, talk with them and try to, no matter how uncomfortable it is to talk through it, try to find ways in which you can explain it that helps them understand what they escaped. Next question. I learned that my boyfriend was raised in a religious cult. He doesn't attend regularly, and he says that he is not part of it. Every now and then he says something really odd, though, and it makes me think that he is still affected. I love him and I want to be with him, but I do worry about what things will be like when it gets serious. Should I be worried? Yes. 
I think you should be maybe not worried, but I think you should have a concern, at least to the degree to which you do or don't dig deeper before you commit. Um, Digging deeper into this is going to be really important before you move forward because, you know, whatever you've heard or read from, from John or myself, this indoctrination can go really deep. It just can really be in someone and it can just pop back up and they don't even realize it's still in there. So I would want to know, does he recognize that he has some residual from his upbringing that, you know, he wants to, to look into, uh, maybe something that he wants to, to work on or continue to heal from? Is he willing to be humble and admit that he said something problematic and apologize to you? So I'm imagining if he said something harmful, um, again, I don't know what he said, but if it's been cult influenced, it may have been something that was really hurtful to hear. And so is he willing to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, that wasn't good. I apologize for that. Like, I want to handle that differently next time. Is he open to seeking support, such as meeting with a couples therapist or someone independently if he needs that or reading a book or following along on a podcast such as this one? I would assume and we know what they say about people who assume. So, you know, there's there's a caution there, I am assuming. But from an educated perspective, he's likely still affected in ways. It's really tough to not be in any way to any degree. Like things just tend to come up and we, we recognize them and we work on them and then something else may pop up or it pops up in a deeper way. And we're like, oh gosh, got to go back and, and address that. And so... What I would say my deal breaker um, was for me personally, when I was considering marrying Michael, my deal breaker was if Michael was unwilling to recognize his fault in a situation, to be humble and be willing to say, I messed up and I want to correct it. I want to apologize and I want to lean into growth. Like I want to continue to grow and learn. I don't think I've arrived somewhere. I don't think I've hit perfection. I know that it's a lifelong journey of growing and healing and I'm going to embrace that process with you. So if Michael would not seek healing and continued development as a human being, then I was out. I wouldn't have married him. And he doesn't have the same background as I do or as John does, but he's got his own stuff. You know, everyone does when they come into a relationship. I will do the hard stuff, but I won't do it alone. And I will not be stuck in a relationship in which my partner thinks he has arrived. And so he doesn't have any work to do. So I made that decision before I, I got remarried because um, I, I was married at 21 and divorced. Um, it was finalized at 24. That is, that's my biggest um, message to you. Yes, have some concern. I don't think you have to be worried because you, you, you get to make a decision. You have power in this decision. And that's something that us... I would say, uh, I'm going to speak to women specifically here. I'm not saying that it doesn't apply to men, but in a patriarchal cult, um, I would say women in particular have been taught that they don't have any power and they don't have any control. You do have power and control over whom you're going to marry. And so I don't think you have to be worried. It's more of, yes, I'm aware that there's something going on. I want to investigate it further. And here are some questions. Here are some things I want to check out and, you know, write those questions down. Is he willing to do these things? And if so, then you're likely going to be good moving forward. But I would still take some time and make sure he's living it out. You know, I wouldn't marry this person in, in three months. Like, I would give it some time. And know that he's he could be an incredible guy 
who's trying and just needs someone who's also just going to love him in that. If he says, yes, I want to be a part of the process and he needs someone who's going to say, all right, I'm going to do it with you Um, because this is this is really tough stuff and it's really tough to do alone. And also a good example of my previous comment that people and opinions change. When I first started working with the websites and even before I had a support group, I started getting this question and my response was different than it is now. My response used to be, don't worry, just watch it, be careful, pay attention. But it's actually really much, it's a lot deeper than that. And I have to be more careful now how I address this so that people fully understand. It's an interesting question for me because I would have never even dreamed of dating or marrying somebody outside of the cult. We were literally programmed not to do this, as are many, many religious cults. The only ones that I have encountered in my studies that are not are those that recruit through sex. Usually those who do not recruit through sex tell you that it needs to be somebody who is part of the cult and has your belief system because you cannot yoke yoke yourself not with unbelievers is the the typical doctrine. So what happens is whenever a person is in the state, he still has that in the back of his mind or she still has that in the back of her mind. And though they may seem like they're not affected, their brain is literally playing tug of war with itself. One part of them is pulling them towards the cult and wanting to pull you towards the cult. And then their authentic self, no matter how level, what level it's broken free, is trying to pull itself away to become free because part of this person realizes that something is not right. They may not realize that it's a cult, but they realize something's not right. So you're literally at this point dating a person who is, whose brain is playing tug of war with itself. And the reason that I changed my mind is I started getting stories from people who did go through with with the relationship and did get married to a person who was semi in the cult. And I use that word loosely because most of the examples of people contacting me, their husband hadn't, had not even attended church in many years. Usually it was females that contacted me, which was also interesting. It's usually, at least from the people that have contacted me, it's usually the males who are seeking relationships outside of the cult, which I find interesting. But what happens is, as this tug of war is going on, and neither party is addressing it, it explodes. It becomes, a, it becomes an atomic bomb that is just waiting to be set off. And finally it does. And when it does, you don't know how it's gonna, what's going to happen. It could be physical abuse. It could be verbal abuse. I think a lot of the cases that really made, my, made me change my mind were verbal abuse. And some obviously break free and they get free from it and things are fine. But what I tell people now is it really depends on you. Are you willing to become a counselor for this person? Quite likely a counselor for this person for the next several years. And are you willing to take them to counseling if they need it? Because there may be a strong possibility that they need counseling to try to you know, understand what's in their head and why are they half in and half out. Because no two ways about it, if they are not willing to say that they escaped a religious cult and they're not willing to address that, they still have one foot in it. Yeah, that is a part of this question. Gosh, I always wish that I could talk to the people who ask 
who fit into this because it's there's so many follow-up questions that I have before I would really give a full answer. And so my initial response is more for someone who was like me, who was out but didn't fully realize it all, but was willing to realize it all and was seeking healing and seeking all of that and was willing to call it what it needed to be called. If someone's not actually willing to say that it was a cult and it for sure was, that definitely is a a huge caution. That would be concerned. That would actually worry me. I would not want to move forward with someone who wasn't in a place to call it what it was. And that's kind of funny for me to say of all people, because we were four months married before I called it what it was, my (laughs) husband and I. And so we made it through. But again, I'm saying what I recommend. I'm not saying everything I did. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, I think we are very fortunate that we're together. And I mean that. Um, We did not have an easy road of things. I don't recommend it for people. So if you're someone who's like, well, I'm already married to the person and this, I mean, it, it can work out. It takes a lot of work and a lot of energy. So don't be building a business at the same time because you're going to have to be building a relationship. It also depends on where, yeah, John, like you said, how much time do you want to put into it? Right. All relationships take effort and time. But if you're taking on something like this, if you're thinking, I really want to be raising children in the next couple of years, or I really, you know, I, I want to grow my career. Like you only have so much time and energy and your relationship in this scenario is going to take a lot of it. And so consider that before you move forward. Right. Next question. My husband and I were members of a religious cult for several years. The pastor was very strict against all forms of affection. Boys and girls were not even permitted to hold hands. Now that we have left, it's really difficult to know where we should set the boundaries for our children. Sometimes I worry that we may be too strict, while other times I worry that we're not strict enough. Where do we find normal? John, I'm going to make one more comment about that previous question because I'm just feeling it right now of what if someone who's listening is like me and they're the person who is now thinking, well, gosh, what if what if someone wouldn't want to date me? What if someone wouldn't want to marry me mm. and take on my history? And so right. I want to tell that person who maybe is sitting there feeling like the light just got shined on them. Like, what if my husband hadn't been willing to take me on? Mm, that would true. have been so heartbreaking. And so I'm incredibly thankful that he was. And that he's stuck by me through this process of what in the hell was all of that? And what do I do with it all? And I would encourage any of you men and women out there who are listening are like, well, I'm actually that person. Continue to lean into your own healing process. And when that person comes along, not only will you be further down the road, but you will also have really good, just healthy practices set up in your life that will show that person you are working on it. You know, you are committed and you, you are going to, you're not just going to say, oh, this is my stuff and you have to deal with it. You're saying, no, this is my stuff and, and I'm, I'm going to handle it and I'm committed to that process on my behalf and on your behalf, but I'm committed to it with or without you. You are not someone who is outside the possibility or outside the right to be loved and cared for. 
that would be just a straight up lie. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Like you are lovable and you are worth it. And I hope that you show that in how you care for yourself before someone else comes alongside you. Mm. Yeah. And I'll follow up with this, that we recently took a road trip and visited a former cult member in another state. And though they weren't in the one foot in, one foot out scenario, mentally, I think they had a lot of baggage that was really holding them back in the same way. And this person found a man who just absolutely was made her blossom and flourish. And I mean, you could just tell she was not the same person. She, she even looks younger. If you look at her photos now, it's, it's crazy because she looks younger now because she is so excited and happy with this guy. And I call him off to the side. Uh, she and my wife went off and they were talking and I was talking to him and I said, so what's it like? You've never been, you've never experienced any of this. And I said, have you ever really experienced anybody been around somebody who's in a cult and he said no and this is the craziest stuff i've ever seen but i tell you what <laughs> she's a strong person to come through that and um wow. you know it 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 works out it really does you don't have to be afraid of it but you do have to address it mm -hmm. yeah that was a beautiful example so back to the pre back to the next question where do we find normal with in regards to um, knowing where to set the boundaries for our children? I don't know that there is a this healthy, quote unquote, normal necessarily out there in society right now. And so I would propose some questions as you as a family, as a couple are making decisions for you to consider. Some questions that I would consider ask, or I'd propose that you ask would be, what do I feel comfortable with? What makes me feel comfortable versus uncomfortable? What do I think is healthy? Why do I think that's healthy? Asking ourselves that next question of why is always going to be really important, especially if we have a background where we've been like really indoctrinated um, by a, a doomsday cult, good heavens, like we need to think, well, why do I think that? Where did that come from? Is that coming from a cult teaching that I don't actually even believe in anymore? So this is going to take some introspection personally and as a unit before deciding on what those rules are going to look like. Essentially, what you're looking for is what do I believe about this and why do I believe that? When I get to the why, do I still believe it or am I now changing what I believe? So this is going to take a little bit of a process. Depending on your religious affiliation right now, there may be doctrine in this area that can help guide you in making decisions. So if you do identify as Christian, um, then you can refer to the Bible uh, for evidence and basically guidance on how to move forward. But if you're going to go from if you're going to go from something like holding hands to sex and the problem wasn't really holding hands. And I think sometimes we can make it about, oh, they held hands so they had sex. Again, think about that couple I told you about before where they kissed everywhere but on the lips. Like it really is about the teaching and the conviction and the belief system that the individuals hold who are in the relationship as well. And people are going to get where they want to get to. I mean, good heavens. I mean... I'm going to be honest with you guys, and I don't mind doing this as an example. I, I personally had sex before marriage at the age of 17 to what ended up being my first husband. My dad was the cult leader, you guys. 
I was so highly supervised. I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers at friends' houses. If I told you the story of how I pulled that off, all of you parents would just be like, we don't have a shot. I mean, if someone is going to, if they're going to make relational decisions, they're going to make them. And so this even starts younger of having more open conversations of what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? Um, allowing kids to ask questions. I mean, allowing kids to to get answers to their questions, helping them along so they're developing their their viewpoint and their convictions on this these topics i just i really struggle and again this needs to be a separate episode so i really struggle with saying i can't let them hold hands because then they're gonna go and do this they're gonna take it too far if they're gonna take it too far they're gonna take it too far it means other work needs to be done other conversations need to be had it is not the act of holding hands that makes people do other things It's Mm -hmm. what they want and the decisions they're making about what they want. So I would highly encourage you to know where you stand, why you're there, explain that well to your children and allow it to be a conversation with them. Allow there to be dialogue in hopes that there will be some buy-in at the end. You know, if you believe what you are teaching them and what you are asking of them and the boundaries you're putting into place for them are really for them. It's for their best interest. You have their best interest at heart. You want them to know that and you want them to buy into it. You want them, and I don't mean buy in in like a bad way, but yeah, like I I get what you're saying, mom and dad. I see why you're saying that. And yeah, like I I get it and I'm I'm into it. Like I see why you're saying that and I, I buy into that. I'm in agreement. There's some level of agreement to it. So as far as healthy, normal, I mean, there's such a variety of how families handle this, but that's kind of my groundwork. I think we need to be introspective and I think we need to welcome our kiddos into a conversation. Right. I added this question because it's one that I've gotten a few times, but to be honest, this is not a cult or non-cult question. This is this is just a life question, right? <laughs> As a parent, how do I parent? How do I how do I give guidance to my children? What's interesting is I grew up from Arizona to South Carolina, and I went to so many different cult churches. I've mentioned it several times. When we moved back into this area, I remember, granted, this is this is a very fundamentalist cult in this area. This is, if you were to look at the, you know, the Pentecostal cults or the Mormon cults and see the women with the long dresses and flowing hair, and you, your mind does not go to sex for teenage children. It's not a, it's not something you think about or are concerned about. And when I moved to this city, I was warned by many people, not many, but several people, that a lot of the teenagers in this church were having sex together. And it blew my mind. I'm like, really? There's, there's no way. That's not possible. This is, this is the, the cult that I was growing up in. This is the holy people, the righteous ones. And one of the first girls that I became interested in actually told me that she had just the week before with this other guy. And I mean, it's, it gets so really weird. If you think that your cult is immune to this, it's, it's not the case. You were just living blinded. And if you think that there is a normal, you're also blinded because there is no normal. We, one of the cult churches that I attended after church, the boys were not allowed to ride in the same car with the girls. That's how strict they were. And I remember I was, there was two cars. I, I drove a Trans Am, which has 
two bucket seats in the back and two bucket seats in the front. And there was a girl that had this massive, I don't know what it was, Cadillac or Lincoln, some massive car. And there was only like three or four girls, but there were, gosh, there was one, two, three, four, five, six. There were seven boys, myself included. And we all had to ride in my Trans Am for 45 miles because we weren't allowed to let the boy ride into this big, spacious, empty car. So I literally drove 45 miles with a with a guy laying across my lap in this dangerously in this car because of the strict religion. And that that strictness is unusual. I can say that it was abnormal. But when you get down to the basics of of just how boys and girls are supposed to interact. Another example of the cult that I was in, you were not allowed to, um, men and women were not allowed to swim together. And if you swam in public, even even in private, there were some groups that taught that the men should be wearing a shirt over their chest. And some of them actually, I can remember renting the YMCA at one cult church so that we could have cult isolation and I remember the boys being forced to or not being forced but many of them swam in their blue jeans because they did not want to show their legs because that's how they were trained when we left our cult and we went into we tried our first mainstream Christian church it was a Baptist church they had some of the same rules when my son went to go swimming he had to wear a shirt and we were just we were shocked because I had experienced other you know, from a wide variety of people, even in the cult, I knew that this was not what is typical of mainstream Christianity, but this one particular church taught that. So you're not going to find normal. And it really comes down to this. The normal is what, like you said, what are you comfortable with? How far, how far are you willing to let your children go safely? And you know, your mindset, it's what I'm finding of relationships, just studying it minimally, because I'm not, again, I'm not interested much in this type of research, but the norms that we have now are not the norms that we had in the 50s. Those norms were not the same norms that we had in the 20s. Go back through time, it changes and evolves. And then, so I'm thinking American norms, now go to Europe. In Europe, if you Go, if you're a child in, um, where was it, one of the cult members was in Spain, I think it was. Their children can go to a nude beach, and they do, and they think nothing of it because they don't look at women's skin in the same way that we do in Americanized churches. And if we put our 14-year-olds on this nude beach, they would just go nuts because this is something that they've never experienced. But the culture's different. The time is different. And it really comes down to your mindset. Are you a person who loves to watch Leave it to Beaver and watch how those relationships are quote-unquote holy, or are you a person that watches Sex in the City? It, it really comes down to how, how you are and what you're comfortable with and not so much what's normal. Last question. I was raised in a religious cult where women were verbally abused openly behind the pulpit. We heard everything from sermons describing how being raped was our fault for the clothes that we wore or the way our bodies developed to how Satan designed us to lure men into sex. And men in the congregation said amen to these insults. Now, finally, I'm free from it. 
I have a difficult time with relationships, though. I don't trust men, but I really want to have a normal relationship. What advice can you give? Well, first, I do want to say that there are misogynists outside of your cult group. They're not only in it. And so having an awareness of that and filtering to make sure that you're not finding one of those is important. And I'm glad that this person does not seem to be looking for what was their normal, because sometimes we can do that because that's what we're used to. And so we kind of just accept it as this is how it goes. But there are also incredible guys who see women as having equal worth to them. There are many of those out there. And so those are the guys that we want to be looking for. While you can know this intellectually, though, it does take a lot more time for our emotions to get on the same page. With that, I'd recommend just taking it slow, going at a pace that allows you to acknowledge how you feel. You have experienced trauma. You've been indoctrinated. These experiences don't just go away on their own. Um, and they just, they don't go away super quickly most often. Like usually it's, it's going to take time. And I'd encourage you to begin questioning the accuracy of those feelings based on the new world around you. And I think that takes time to be like, wow, I'm feeling triggered by this or I'm feeling like I don't trust this person. Maybe I went on one date and I just I don't trust this person. Is there something that person did that is throwing a flag for you where you're like, ah, I don't know about this. Like my spidey senses just went up. Something's off. Or are you responding from past experiences in your cult group? So again, taking your time and slowing down so that you can ask yourself these questions because we want to start to debunk some of those years of abuse that we've had. We want to start to see, okay, this isn't everyone. This isn't true of everyone I interact with. And it's going to take time and experience and even dating to start to see that that's true. Now, I can tell you that not everyone, every man out there is like this. But, and you may believe me intellectually, but your heart might not actually trust that as true. And so going on some dates as you feel safe to do so can be helpful to start to see that there are types of, you know, other kinds of men available. Also find support because again, this stuff isn't easy to do alone. So if you're someone who would ask this question, this applies to your life. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening to this podcast. These are, these are tough things again, that, that take time and The final comment I want to make before I hand it over to you, John, is remember that you have the authority and the power to press pause whenever you need to. You've probably been pushed to the point that you don't know what your boundaries are because you were never allowed to have them. So please allow yourself the time and space, the trial and error to determine what your boundaries are and then begin to assert them. And the safe partner for you will be patient with you through that process. Right. And of the questions in this episode that I am the least qualified to answer, this is number one, highest, <laughs> the, the, the most unqualified to answer this question. All I can really say for this one is, I'm sorry. I was among the men in a cult that was like this, and I'm sorry. That's all I can say. I do want to spin it a different direction, though. A lot of times, whenever you think about this exact situation, and and this has came up a few times even recently in the support groups, women had had it horrifically bad. I mean, can you imagine being told that you were designed for sex to lure and deceive people? 
It's horrifically bad. I'm not going to make light of that. But what's commonly overlooked is what this does to the men in the group. Because men are trained to believe that women are doing this. They're trained, they're literally trained in a quote-unquote Christian church that women are out to get them and that women should be objectified. They're, they're basically trained to think of women as objects, women as objects designed for sex to lure them. And what that does to the male brain is also just as horrific but in a much different way because it messes with their minds in the same way that it does the women, but it it really teaches them improper improper thoughts and improper um, ways of you know thinking about life itself. If not for the females, there would be no life on Earth because it takes a male and a female to reproduce, and it's the female is a blessing to the man according to the Bible. If you're a believer in the Bible, it's not it's not in any way, shape, or form, a resemblance to Christianity, this type of doctrine. But for the men, it creates a wide range of issues, some of which I know people personally who are going into counseling for this. Um, men have to, you know, take a step back and reevaluate their, not just the cult doctrines and the religion, but their entire view of life itself. That's how deep this question runs. And my advice for the men is take that step back and reevaluate. If you are still a Christian, look at the Bible, read Genesis. It says nothing even similar to this. And read the rest of the book, and you'll find that women, out of, out of the ancient religions that emerged at the same time as Christianity, Christianity was almost the the top in treating women with respect. There are other groups, there are other other religions of the ancient world that also treated women with respect, but the um, the ancient Israelites and the Christian religion itself was molded in such a way that lifted the woman up, not pushed them down. And this type of doctrine is such that it pushes women down, it oppresses them. And so my advice is take a step back, reevaluate, and change your mind because this is horrifically wrong. I really appreciate that you brought up the issue, the the men's side of this. I recently had reached out to one of my brothers who has oftentimes said to me, Naomi, this was so much worse for you as a female because of how women are treated and what's said about them and just how they're viewed overall. And it just really hit me one day of, but you as the male you were taught all of this and you had all of this pushed on you and you were also kind of reduced to you would only have a relationship with a woman for this reason or you would only view her in this way that's all you're capable of that's so limiting and disturbing and disgustingly limiting and you also were held to such a high expectation of behavior as the male like all that you had all that responsibility you had on you as being the leader of everything and good heavens I'm like there's so much too on the men in these situations and I I personally I do not feel that it's necessarily worse for the women I think it's different 
I think there are ways in which it is much easier for the men. And I think there are ways in which it's harder for the men. And so for any of our men out there who are listening, I, I'm rooting for you just as much as I'm rooting for the ladies. Absolutely. Well, this has turned out to be incredibly fun. I, um, you know, I was thinking when we started this, how on earth can I finish this? What can I give a value to this conversation? But, um, you know, there's so much to talk through and so much to think about. And quite frankly, it brings up a lot of old memories that I had in the cult. And, and it really makes me think about how much different it is now that I've left. So hopefully it's helped somebody and hopefully it's lifted somebody up who needed a pick-me-up. If you have questions that you'd like to hear answered on our show, please send them to us. You can contact us on the contact page of freeandclearshow.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you become free and clear. Yeah.